0: Welcome to the It's Going to Be Good podcast sponsored by Acru. This is the place where Anna and I talk about how to build your accounting firm in a way that's healthy and sustainable so that you can focus on doing meaningful work with exceptional people. Today, we are going to be talking about onboarding clients so that they keep saying yes. And the goal of our sales department is to get people coming in the door and saying yes. But really the goal of onboarding and the goal of continued working relationships with your clients is to get them to not just say yes that first time, but to continue saying yes over and over again, because working with you is worth continuing to say yes. So Anna, why don't you, uh, why don't you intro this idea and kind of how it relates to a crew? Yeah, I think we have probably all seen
1: tons of webinars over the years Classes at conferences, all kinds of things about onboarding. And what I have noticed pretty much across the board is that it tends to very much focus on the process of onboarding. It tends to focus on like the particular tools to use or, or particular, you know, checklists or, or process. And what we want to shift gears on, because I don't think it's something that's as widely talked about, is the why behind it, the client experience side. Behind it, and why we ought to focus on certain things or make sure we're doing certain things in that onboarding process to support this idea of clients continuing to say yes. So, because client experience is something we kind of obsess about here, the onboarding process is something we've put a lot of time and effort into because a client is deciding, you know, a potential client is deciding whether or not you seem like somebody they want to work with. Yeah. Sometimes they've been burned in the past. Sometimes they're coming because they're not having a good experience with the person that they're coming with. In fact, part of our sales process is essentially just to be like, who hurt you? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) not
0: exactly.
1: (laughs) We you know, can but like,
0: tell who did it are, and what are we doing here. Why are we yeah. talking now and us and not whoever it was that burned you?
1: <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's what. why are we talking today? Because something went wrong somewhere yeah. if you're looking for a new accountant. May, maybe you are starting a brand new business and you happen to know that you should find an accounting or bookkeeping service that's not the vast majority that's a rare of clients. One. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Most have have had that not not awesome experience and so they're looking to you to hopefully either help them resolve that problem, you know, get their books cleaned up, get things like into a better place than than where they are or to help them, you know, ongoing get financials on a timely basis or get some advisory or like really have things like on point so that they can trust that and and use it and, uh, and do all the things we imagine clients would want to do if they're having our services work out well. So at this phase of, okay, I have decided it's a yes, there's still, it's still very like tentative. Yes. It's, it's yes, but We'll we don't want them to <laughs> say yes and then immediately say, oh, whoops.
0: Never mind. So, <laughs> this actually was not the solution we were looking for. And we never got to the point where we knew that, where we were on the same page. And here we are exiting before you even knew there was a problem. Yeah. That is incredibly yeah. common. Yeah.
1: Well, and I think also we don't want clients to have that sort of buyer's remorse. Yeah, uh, like maybe they've maybe they're not necessarily going to bounce, but we want them to feel good about having said yes. Mm-hmm. We want that yes to feel like this was a good choice all through that onboarding process. And so, yes, we do have lots of process involved. We got checklists for days. Please do (laughs) not think that we do not care about the logistics of the onboarding process. But I think all of those things are in service of clients' feeling like saying yes was a good choice. We want them to feel smart. (laughs) We want them to feel like I made a good call here. And so all of the things that we do in onboarding is really in service of that because, you know, when a client is initially making that choice of like, hey, is it a yes or a no to work together? they are really kind of deciding whether they like you um, whether they think they can trust you and whether you seem, you know, smart or capable or you you could actually do the thing that they, they want you to do. And I think it's important to note it's in that order. Mm-hmm. And we tend to focus on flexing how smart and capable we are first. Yes. And then maybe demonstrating you should like us. And then like it so goes without saying that you should trust us mm-hmm. that we don't even say it. And I think inverting that order, if you are smart and capable, you don't need to talk about how smart and capable you are. Mm -hmm. And also that's not actually the deciding factor for clients.
0: Well, and oftentimes when you talk about how smart and capable you are, the immediate response is, how smart and capable are you if this is the conversation we're having? If If you have to tell me and not show me, is it true? And you start questioning whether or not that's actually true. And I think one of the things about inverting that uh, order of operations, so to speak, is I like you is the easiest one. It is so simple to assess and it's so impl- it's so simple to like affect change. You can become really likable in very simple ways. It's so much harder to demonstrate competence. It's so much harder to show a, cl- a potential client, demonstrate and have them believe, understand and believe that you're smart and capable in a sales process. You have to do Mm -hmm. so much flexing to make that happen, whereas you could just be likable and that will get the ball rolling further than you even imagined, just because that's such a good entry point for clients to work with you. Yeah, we wanna work with people we like. Yeah, We don't really wanna work with people we don't like. No.
1: And I know that sounds Shallow. Simplistic, no. It, well, yeah, it does. But it's shallow. human, so it's if so it is human. shallow, we're all shallow. Yeah. So we're all shallow <laughs> together. Um, but I, I think the ways that you demonstrate that someone should like you can also demonstrate that you are smart and capable, mm-hmm. because so much of it is things like listening well, mm-hmm. asking good questions demonstrating that you are smart and capable and that you understand them in their industry through the questions you ask and the interest you show in them. It immediately makes you seem smart and capable and competent because you don't have to tell me how smart and capable and competent you are. I can just tell. And then the idea of trust is also one that I think all of this onboarding process is in service of because I think I can trust you at the door. I don't know that Mm -mm. because trust is based on repeated behaviors. It is based on saying what you're going to do and then doing it and then saying you're going to do it and then doing it again. And that over and over across time, that is how we actually trust people. But at the beginning, I think you're the kind of person that I could trust. Mm. Like that's really what you can assess at the door is you, I do like you. You seem like the kind of person that I could trust or that is trustworthy, but we'll see. (laughs) Um, And (laughs) you seem smart and capable uh, as long as you're not so busy trying to tell me how smart and capable you are. Mm -hmm. So if we've been able to establish those things, then The entire onboarding process should be a confirmation that they should still like you, that you are someone (laughs) that they should want to like and and interact with, that they can in fact trust you because you're going to tell them what you're going to do and then you're going to do it and then tell them and then do it and then over and over again. And you demonstrate competence by doing the things that you said (laughs) But it's all it's so simple, so
0: obviously <laughs> connected I in know. a way that feels dumb to say it out loud. But we forget about it because we tend to over engineer this stuff. We think sales sounds hard. How do I get someone to trust me with their books? And then we immediately go to the most extreme end of that spectrum and go, okay. I'm smart. I do know what I'm doing. How will they know that? Well, I got to tell them, otherwise they can't know. And so we just end up over engineering the process because we're daunted by it. When in reality, we could just go, all right, who am I? what am I like? What is it like to work with me? How do I communicate? How do I like things? Okay, now let me think about what that looks like in the sales process. Now let me think about what my ideal client is. And when you when you start going down that thought experiment, you end at a place where you've got like a pretty ideal client profile, you've got a pretty solid sales process that in your mind and, and with your approach builds that trust and, and demonstrates that competence. And then you actually get to the point where you're in your sweet spot, you're working with clients who are in their sweet spot. And that like and trust starts to come really naturally, really, really naturally. Even with clients that are brand new to your company, because it, it just is a flow. You have a rhythm, you have a process, and it's a process that's tried and true. And so any client coming in is going to see that competence in your ability to run that process really smoothly, to build that rapport yes. really quickly. And then they will immediately start trusting you so much sooner because you've got your reps in and you know what you're doing. And, and all it takes is just taking a half step back at the beginning and reimagining what we're actually trying to accomplish here.
1: Yes. Okay. I think what we're actually trying to accomplish in the onboarding process is the thing that gets missed more than anything because we view the onboarding Mm -hmm. process as the time in which I am going to get what I need from the client. (laughs) And we build all of our process around how the client is going to give us what we need so we can do what we're doing. And we totally miss the idea Mm -hmm. that the onboarding process is not about us getting what we need from the client. It is about us being able to show the client how we work together, how there is value in what we're doing, how it works to work with us. Mm-hmm. That's the point of it. You should have a process that does allow you to get what you need from the client as part of that process. Totally. But it's important. <laughs> not the goal. Mm-mm. The goal is to establish the relationship so that you've shown them what it's like to work with you. You've explained how it's going to go. You've demonstrated competence across time by driving the process forward. And I'll talk in a bit about how that doesn't function when it doesn't. (laughs) But assuming you're doing this well, you're driving the process forward. You're telling them what you need. You're following up with them. You're fully owning the responsibility of making this happen And you're showing them what it's like to work with you so that they want to keep working with you. That is the goal, that they said yes at the door and that they keep saying yes all through this process. And we've conflated that with them getting us what we need. The goal is for us to get them what they need. That's what they're paying for.
0: Yes. And there's something really Challenging about the idea of giving a vendor money to do a service, knowing that you're going to have to do some stuff for that service to get rolling, but not knowing exactly what, and then not hearing from them, not having them drive, not having them pull their weight, not having them tell you what they need, not having them make it easy for you to get what they need. All of that starts to build resentment so early in your working relationship. And it's really hard to recover from that. It's really hard to course correct from that. I think one of the biggest mistakes that we tend to make and we we used to make this at a crew um, we have since done a ton of work on our onboarding process we don't quite do this anymore, but that huge laundry list of tasks for a client to complete. (laughs) It is is that like, I don't know, abdication of responsibility that like, okay, here's all the stuff we could possibly need. Now it's your responsibility. Go do some homework. If you don't get us everything, we're going to be annoyed. We're going to be frustrated. You're going to be annoyed that you're not getting reports yet, but it'll be your fault. So- we yeah, we're not going to do it. And then we're <laughs> going to blame you that we didn't do it. Oof! And how enjoyable of a client experience is that? <laughs> Paying it's not for a awesome. service and then not getting that service and also being at fault for that service not moving forward. It's not a great experience. So that ability to drive is huge. I don't think it can be overstated.
1: Well, and we've had plenty of experiences on the other side where we've worked with different kinds of vendors and it just wasn't clear who was driving. Mm-hmm. It wasn't clear whether they were going to lead things, whether anything would happen if we just said, OK, like it. And and so then we end up because we're those kinds of clients. So probably this might be the podcast where no one wants to work with us anymore as a vendor. <laughs> but We are the kind of people that like in absence of any other information, we'll just drive. Like in absence of it being clear that that vendor is going to lead, then we will. Um, But I will resent them for it because I feel like they ought to lead. Uh, They ought to be the one driving. And then I will immediately resent that I am paying for a service and I'm the one driving it forward. Mm -hmm. So that piece, I think, cannot be overstated that if your onboarding process does nothing else, just you moving things forward. Is immediately relieving to your client. Yes. Like it immediately communicates without having to directly say it, we got this. Hmm. Like we are competent. You can trust us. We know what we're doing. We're gonna tell you what we need from you. We're gonna tell you what we're doing and when. And you are gonna know exactly what to expect all along the way, and you're gonna know when you're kind of done with this onboarding phase and when we're just into regular services. So everything about that should be the vendor's responsibility. So us as the vendor in this scenario, well, I guess in in those examples, we're the client, but in (laughs) in shifting gears here, uh, us as the vendor for our clients, like everything along the way should be our responsibility to tell those clients, here's what you can expect. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we need from you. Here's when we're done. Like, All of that is on us to make clear, and it builds so much trust with clients, and it's so easy, Mm -hmm. and we're so generally bad at it.
0: Yes, yes. Just the idea of setting expectations sounds daunting, I think, a lot of times, especially to a risk-averse population. like If if we tend to want to be able to deliver on the thing we said, we might be hesitant to set expectations. But the value in setting expectations is that even if you miss the mark, but you've said I'm going to do X Y and Z. I'm going to send you an update on Friday. You can send that update and just tell them where you're at. You can it's it, it if you can get into a rhythm of touching base with the client of connecting with them because like we said in our last episode, if you don't say anything to the client and you don't give them anything, they have no clue you're working on anything related to them. They cannot possibly know. And so if you can build in process to touch base with them, on a regular cadence there's predictability there's you know this this idea that they're going to get their questions answered, you're gonna get what you need from them because odds are good this isn't handled in a one-hour onboarding call or in a, a quick process. This is an ongoing thing. There's, you know, there it will always be the case that a client doesn't have access to something in the moment or, you know, needs to put that on a task list for themselves to do next week. And so that stuff's always going to pop up. It's how we navigate that as the guide that makes that functional for building that trust with clients because if they don't know what to expect, and we are not setting those expectations, everyone will be wondering if anything is moving forward. And that's not great, especially when we're talking about clients who more often than not are getting burnt somewhere else. They are here talking to us on purpose because they have a pain point that they think we can solve. And if we're not talking to them and we're not talking about the solution to that pain point, they are really going to wonder if anything is happening or if All bookkeeping and accounting firms are like this. If this is just the industry, they're just going to start wondering, like, is this just always how it's going to be? And it just doesn't have to. It just doesn't have
1: to. Well, and I think this is especially relevant for um, the, the direction most of us are heading in terms of value pricing, where a lot of us are getting paid in advance mm-hmm. of doing work. So even more so, it puts the burden on us to make sure that clients who have already paid for what we haven't done yet know that we are, in fact, doing something. Like, yes. it just... <laughs> you kind of want to know that when you sign the engagement and the money has left your account, that something is going to happen. (laughs) It's not just going to be like, thanks for that. Peace. Um, (laughs) You you know, or that, Hey, in a month from now, I'm going to hear from you to give me the laundry list of things that we, that I could have been working on for the last four weeks. Like just all of that kind of logistics. So, okay. Getting down like, I think we've pretty well covered the why, why this matters. We want to build good relationships with clients. We want to ensure that they don't immediately regret having said yes to us, that they do feel like something is moving forward. They feel that relational um kind of deposits being made. They feel that building across time. They feel trust building across time. And I think that's especially true um, and necessary for clients who have been referred either by an existing client or by someone that, you know, a referral partner in some sense, because We've now already been extended some trust from another person, either Mm -hmm. from an existing client or someone that we know professionally. And so now it's not only even about making us look good. Now we want to make that client or that referral partner look like they referred them to somebody who would take care of them and not somebody who would drop the ball. So like- This trust building extends out and it will contribute to people either wanting to refer to you or never referring to you again because you made them look bad. So like none of that, please. We want to set this up so that we're making everybody look good, including and especially us. Um, So (laughs) how do we actually do that? So I think, Jill, do you want to do kind of a high level overview of our onboarding process?
0: Yeah. So it's it's hard to talk about our onboarding process without also talking a little bit about our sales. And I won't dive too deeply into it, but one of the most important things in our sales process is making sure that that client's needs are aligned with what we can offer. So we're not really selling clients that who are in industries we don't work in, who have business models that don't align with ours, that are too small for us, that are way too big for us, and really should have an entire accounting department. Like We're, we're really looking at getting the right fit in the door. And so once we're onboarding, we've built quite a lot of trust in that process already, which I don't think is typical for most bookkeeping and accounting firms to have done you know, as many touch points in the process as we tend to do. So I think we're at a little bit of an advantage when we start onboarding already because we're so intentional in that sales process, and it does do a lot of that foundational trust building for us. But once you start the onboarding call, um, you're meeting a new person. That salesperson's no longer going to be able to actually support you in any way. They can you know, pass information along to someone, but really that's not your person anymore. You're getting kind of that baton pass to your dedicated account manager. And so what we'll do is we'll walk our clients through video sharing their um, information and kind of getting us connected with their accounts, making sure that all of our like Actual technical process is getting set up so that we have access to what we need. But one of the things that I think is the most important in the process that we run is actually just setting the stage for the kinds of interactions we will have. Here are the things that we will deliver in this onboarding process. So if we're catching up your books or if we're cleaning up your books, This is when you can expect reports and all the way through that process, we'll send you an email weekly with questions if we have them. And if we don't, we won't send anything or we will send a message saying, Hey, we don't have any questions. We're on track to deliver reports by the deadline. We'll let you know next week if we have any more questions. And it just sets this really nice rhythm for the client in knowing what to expect. But it also gives us a really good opportunity to talk about some of the things that we don't do. Like for example, our firm doesn't do tax, but we know a lot of CPAs. We know a lot of EAs. We have a lot of referral partners in the tax space. And so we're happy to find solutions for them in that conversation. And so it starts opening a lot of doors for us in terms of not just, you know, referral partner, it's not just an opportunity, but it's an opportunity to add value to that client by making some recommendations that start to build that trust. Like, hey, taxes are really important to get right because it could mean the difference between quite a lot of money for you. So let's get you connected with someone who can actually help you be really strategic and, and align your tax goals with your personal goals. Like, let's let's do that. And it, it just presents all these opportunities for us to just continually add value in that conversation and set expectations. So yeah, we don't do tax, but here's what we can do. Yeah, we don't do phone calls, but here we could add meetings into your services if this is valuable. If meeting face-to-face is really valuable for you, let's add that. And so we have this kind of, flexible approach to it. So all the process, all the things we need, it's really firm. We've got we've got a list of all the tasks that need to get accomplished. But I think the most unique part of our process for onboarding new clients is that relationship building and that conversation that's happening on top of all of that technical nuance. There's all of that relational nuance happening above the surface. And that's what the clients are getting from us in that call. We're getting all all the stuff we need, but they're getting that connection. That human touch, the person in front of them that they're gonna be emailing with for months and months and years and years to come, hopefully, like all of that is so useful to them. And them getting us a log into their bank account doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel like a benefit, doesn't feel like a deposit to them, but that conversation does. And so that all of that trust and rapport building goes quite a long way in terms of in terms of getting our team to be that trusted and approachable expert. This episode of the It's Going to Be Good podcast is sponsored by Keeper. Keeper is a great tool for running your bookkeeping or accounting practice. When month end rolls around, the file review feature is what we use most at Accru because it really highlights inconsistencies across months and makes it easy to spot errors and fix them quickly. Once you've made the updates needed, Keeper will also automatically update QBO for you. I really like the dashboard feature, so I can see from a really high level the status of all of our clients' month-end close and make sure that our operations are on track. You can also use Keeper to send transaction questions to clients, create custom management reports, share a branded client portal, file storage, and so very much more, and Keeper is always working on their product. Are you ready to improve your practice? Check out keeper.app and use our code GOOD20 that's G O O D 2 to get 20% off your first 3 months.
1: Uh, I think that's exactly right. And one of the things I will say is we did not used to do onboarding calls. We used to send an email and be like, hey, can you set up those logins for us? And then be like, I don't know why they didn't. That's weird. Uh, So... When we first started doing onboarding calls, it really was with that same kind of end in mind that that most people have of just the logistics. Let's make sure, let's, let's share screen, get login set up in real time. Let's make that part easier. And so when we started doing it, it was very baseline, like let's just check some of these tasks off of our list. But as we went along, we realized that isn't the most valuable thing, although we still do it in that call and it is still quite valuable because Mm -hmm. it's gonna reduce (laughs) a lot of friction versus having to follow up for that kind of stuff. But that most important thing being the expectation setting and the rapport building, because it is that handoff between sales and your account manager. And so you're meeting someone you've never met before that is going to be your person going forward and is going to be someone who's touching your business finances, who, again, isn't someone you met before. So I think as you're building a firm, now, if this is all you, then there's no handoff, just do you like it's <laughs> keep doing, yeah. um, you know, but if you're growing your firm and getting to a point where it's either you have a salesperson doing sales and, and then dedicated account manager, or it's you doing sales. And then you have someone on your team who's going to do the ongoing work, whatever the case is, if this is a baton pass, it builds so much trust to have the person who was not in any of those sales meetings to be the one to say, here's all the things we're going to do and have it be the same as the person who sold you all the things that we're going to do. That, you know, It's like when you call customer support and you tell them your life story and then they transfer you to somebody else and then they're like, what well, can I help with today? And you're like, oh. and then you have to tell them your whole life story and then the next one and you get transferred 15 times. Versus if you call customer support, You tell them your life story and then they transfer you to someone who's going to help you. And they're like, oh, great. I just connected with this person. They said, this is the issue you're experiencing. I've opened up your account. Here's what I can say. It is such a better experience. It builds so much trust in whatever that person says, just that they've made that handoff. It says so much about, oh, this is a company that has their biz together. Mm -hmm. Like they've got things handled. I'm not going to have to worry just in that piece of it alone Mm -hmm. of the person who's going to do stuff going forward knows the thing that the person who sold me on it said that they were doing. And we have both of those people on that call. So that salesperson is on that onboarding call for the entire call, passing the baton and also there in case a question comes up that maybe was covered in the sales process, maybe it wasn't as clear, just to make sure everyone is on the same page about what we are going to do from this call going forward. High level overview of the onboarding process, you know, they sign the engagement. So thank you very much. Uh, we all celebrate, Slack messages go out, everyone's <laughs> like, woo, woo. Uh, and then it's like, <laughs> oh crap, we better schedule that call. So the next step is we schedule an onboarding call with that salesperson and their account manager and the client. And then in that call, that account manager is the one who's building that rapport for going forward, setting the expectations of what we're going to do clarifying, Hey, is there a day of the week that works best for me to send weekly updates? I'm going to send you an update every week, whether or not we have questions until this date, when we're going to be done with your project, you'll get your first reports. And then going forward after that, you'll hear from me once a week, if I have questions or if not, you'll get your monthly reports and they'll be delivered, you know, by the 15th of the month or, or whatever their engagement happens to be. And that's it. I mean, that's really the entirety of our onboarding process is we do a call. Now, internally, there are tons of checklists and logistics and operations is doing stuff to set up the team. And we're, you know, we've got uh, other team members working on projects or working on ongoing stuff. So there's a lot that goes on internally. The client doesn't need to know all that. That is not helpful information. They need to know you have it handled. They don't need to see how the sausage is made. They just want... (laughs) They're, you know, I don't know, bratwurst or whatever. They just want that at the
0: end. They
1: don't want to be part of the whole story along the way.
0: Well, and I think a lot of times that part of the story along the way is used as like leverage against clients in the future. Like I'm I'm building my case for how much work it is to do this so that if you tell me I didn't do it on time, I could be like, well, it's a lot of work. We don't need to defend ourselves. We don't need to cover our, we don't need to CYA. We can just partner with clients and, and build that trust on both sides. And we don't need to CYA. We don't need to, you know, try to make it seem like we've it's so much effort. It's so much whatever. If it doesn't mean anything to them, then sharing it is really only for our purposes. And that's not actually helpful for our clients. Yeah.
1: I think that's exactly right. I I think um that call is also such a good opportunity to build that relationship of being on the same side of the table. Um, that, hey, if something comes up we weren't expecting, we're just gonna tell you, we're just gonna have a conversation about it. Like if, if we dive in and our understanding of the sitch is different than the reality of it, we're just gonna have a conversation about it. Like even just establishing if something isn't working on our side or if something isn't working on your side, We just want to have a conversation about it because we want to be on the same side of the table as you. So I think that that is, um, keeping that forefront, keeping that, you know, top of mind and and center stage that like our goal is to work well together. Here's what we're going to do on our side to make that the case. Here's what we need from you. We'll always tell you what we need from you. Mm -hmm. And it, and we feel that it's our role to follow up on what we need from you. Like if that part is super clear to clients, like it just, this is the fire prevention. That, that just avoids so many dumpster fires in the future because this client has never worked with you before.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Even if they've worked with another bookkeeping firm, another accounting firm, they obviously didn't have, a, a, unless that person just happened to, I don't know, retire or something. Mm-hmm. Like there may be scenarios in which, you know, they had a great experience and they're just retiring. And I hope that's always the case. It's not. It's not. But (laughs) that would be my dream. That it's always the case. They always have had great experiences with the accounting community. I have for the vast majority of my experiences with it. But that's not everyone's experience with uh with it. So whether their experience was fantastic before, whether their experience was negative before, regardless, they've never experienced your firm before. So this is the time when you're teaching them uh, without being demeaning about the idea of teaching them, uh, because it doesn't mean they're dumb. It just means <laughs> you're guiding them yes. in how it works to work with you, in what the rules are. They don't know. Like they, they what some other firm thought was no big deal might be a big deal to you or vice versa. Like this client has no idea. So it is our role to be that guide of here's how it works to be a great fit client. This is the time when you can do kind of the most guardrails and handholding and making sure we're all on the same page. So that as we start to remove those, as we get into regular services, they already know how it works. They already know how to be a good fit client. They already know how we work and what works well and what doesn't. And so we can just eliminate so many issues in the future if we do this part really well.
0: Yes, 100%. And I think some of the marks of doing it really well are, one, you get way fewer questions from that client when you're setting clear expectations, which means you do a lot less of that email work and that back and forth and all of the explaining and re-explaining. If you can explain it well the first time on a call with nuance, you get way fewer questions going forward. If you're getting everything that you need because you've made that ask clear, everyone is happier. The client is getting you the things you've asked for the things and they're coming your way. So there's, you know, you can follow up until you get it, but then you're, you've got it and, and you're good. So I think getting the stuff that you're actually asking for. And then lastly, I think that feedback to you and to your team is gonna be pretty minimal. And I think that's, uh, we tend to think of that as a neutral thing, but I actually think not a lot of feedback is generally more positive than negative because people will tell you when they've had a bad experience, they won't necessarily tell you when they've had a good one. And so if you're not getting a lot of feedback from your clients, but you're also not getting a lot of questions and you've got everything running smoothly and you've got this well-oiled machine for their reports, Odds are good you did something right in setting them up well because they're probably happier than they're letting on. So I think it's important to it's important to keep in mind when you do it well it means less for you and less for the clients and everyone can win.
1: Yes, I will say the only caveat to that is if they're ghosting you.
0: Oh, If you get yeah. no
1: response at all, then the no news is good news might be the exception to that rule. Yes,
0: totally. Wh- what but other- assuming
1: they're responding in <laughs> some way, yeah. but not giving you tons of feedback about how you're doing either well or not well, it's probably fine. If they're not responding at all, that might be an indicator
0: issue. that things are not running smoothly. Yeah. What are some of the other indicators that it didn't go well? for you Anna. Oh, there are lots. Uh, well, we've had
1: some onboarding calls that I will say have been real dumpster fires and <laughs> and I think that they we haven't in a long time. Um and I think it's because we got really precise in our sales process and we weren't we stopped focusing on trying to win clients and we started focusing on getting the right kinds of clients. Um so once that shift was made, well once I was less in the sales process and once that shift was made, <laughs> I think that piece definitely ensured that by the time we got a client who did say yes, they almost certainly were a good fit client. Mm-hmm. It's not like we've never made a mistake in that area and we will continue to make mistakes in that area. But by and large, the the vast majority of clients uh, are a good fit. Some of the other things I've seen is if we aren't clear enough and and we're misaligned in some expectations, I think that can, that can really um, make things challenging. I think especially if we weren't clear enough in the sales process and then we get to the onboarding call and the client expects something different than what we promised because mm-hmm. there wasn't that clarity. And then we almost have to like retrace our steps and go over again what we've promised which I've definitely seen I think that happens uh if we don't if we try to shortcut steps in mm-hmm. the sales process I think times that we've gone you know what rather than a rather than a call here let's just send a video and it's just too easy to not be on the same page if we didn't have a dialogue about it mm-hmm. if I wasn't able to like ascertain that you were in fact picking up what I was putting down, which I do think is why some of these are really important to be real-time conversations. So there's an ability to ask questions on both sides. We can kind of say, hey, you know, does that make sense? Is there anything in this that I didn't cover that you were looking for? Just that ability to like, let's, let's shore it up in real time so that going forward, we know we're all on the same page. I think the other thing I've seen is if we're a little too accommodating in some of the expectations, if we're like, well, whatever day of the week works best for you, for me to send updates, and then we don't actually clarify that by the end. Because one of the things I've learned is if the client doesn't have a preference, then just choose. Yeah. Just choose just and pick. tell them. Yeah. Yeah. If <laughs> they're like, they yeah, don't whatever have a day preference. of the week is fine. It's like, great. So Thursdays, you can expect to hear from me on Thursdays. And now I've picked and I know that Thursdays is when I'm sending it. If we leave that like, okay, cool. Then just, you know, whatever day, like th- that leaves things too ambiguous. And that's not what we're aiming at. We're aiming at certainty because we're looking to build trust. So we're aiming at clear expectations that we can meet and then we keep meeting them and that is how the trust is built. So I think that's been one. The other thing we've added to our templates that I think is is pretty helpful is at the bottom of them every well A, we have a recap email that goes out after the onboarding call that just recaps in writing all the things we talked about in the call. And so I think that is super helpful because it's a reference point back to anything that we discussed, anything that was decided, what to expect from here, that's all in an email. Then in our weekly update emails, at the bottom, every one of them says, like, we're on track to give you reports by this date. Because I don't expect you to remember when we said we would be done. I'm going to include, or our account manager is not literally me, but we are going to include in every email when we're going to be done. Because... Reminding is part of the thing. Like it's just part of it. Don't expect clients to remember a thing you said one time. It's going to be that repeated consistency. Here's what you can expect. Here's what you can expect here. We're on track for that. We're still on track for that. We do need some stuff from you, but we're still on track for that. Like it just is that kind of consistency that builds that foundation that like they, they keep saying the same thing and then they do it. And then they say what they're gonna do and they do it. Again, it sounds so basic, but it's so, but it's the basic things that build trust. It's not like the, it's not the heroic moments. It's the showing up every day.
0: Yeah, it's the small stuff. And I think that that's just humans. I think that's just relationships. Like the things that we do every day, those small moments, those small rhythms, the small things that we do for each other, for our partners, for our kids, You know, for for our clients, those are the things that make the biggest difference to people because it says a lot more than a grand gesture can. Because a grand gesture is just once, A, a big swoop in hero moment is just once. But if you can show up every day and be consistent with the people in your life that you are responsible to and for, you can build so much trust just in those small things. And it sounds oversimplified, but it really goes such a long way. Yeah. Yeah. And it means that when those expectations need to shift, we're all on the same page you know why we've asked for the thing and we're just going to shift that expectation because we don't have what we need to deliver reports by that date so we're going to make that shift and because you've been open and honest and transparent throughout the whole process there's understanding when you get to that point and there's understanding when you know things shift and change it just it just makes for such a more symbiotic and and peaceful relationship with clients
1: yeah i think that's exactly right and i will say sometimes it's also- So we did our part, we got it as far as we could, and we're going to give you reports that are wrong, but on the day we said, and we're going to tell you why they're wrong because they're still missing this thing we need from you, but we're doing our part. We're going to keep showing up and doing our part. We're going to keep showing up and letting you know what your part is and Like that's just something you can trust because that's what we keep doing across time. I think the other biggest thing that we've done in this process that has been so, so helpful is that is, you know, onboardings have a beginning, a middle and an end. So they don't last forever. Clients know when they end. And then at the end of that onboarding, we have an after action review with the team members who are working on that client. And we say, Hey, you know, what worked well in this, you know, is there anything we still need to do anything? We still need to troubleshoot. So we're, we're checking in on how this particular onboarding went for this particular client. Like, is everything resolved? Did we, did we aim, you know, did did we hit the aim kind of all those things? Um, and then also um, in general, it, after having run this process for this particular client, are there things in the process that we can do better? Are the thi- are there things we've learned from doing this that will help the next one? Are there things that we might want to do differently next time because we did it this way and this was the outcome we had? And and also evaluating, is that outcome just because of this particular circumstance, this particular client, or has that been an outcome across a, the last couple of onboardings and we really do need to shift? our process. So getting everyone to have some time to reflect and say, how did we do? What worked well? What could we do better? And uh, and how can we make sure that this process continues to improve across time? Because the onboarding process is never going to be done. It's, it's going to be something you're constantly working on, making better. Because That's the thing we always want to be doing in every process in our firm. We want to be aiming for better always, all the time. And that's what's so fun about it. So key takeaways from this podcast would be the onboarding process should all be in service of building the foundation of a great relationship with this client. This is a brand new client. They've never worked with you before. You are guiding them in how that all works so they feel that they still like you that they, they actually can trust you and that you are competent and capable to meet their needs and to get them to where they would like to go. So that's really what we're aiming at in this process. Everything in the process should be in service of that, of that relationship building, of that trust building, of saying what you're going to do and doing what you said you were going to do and then going back and doing it again. And that all of this is so that we have great clients we work with that are the hero of the story and we're that guide. Thank you for joining us. We hope you will keep tuning in as we share how we are building a firm worth building. It's going to be good.